all this <laughs> and then doing these flying wing flappity flap things. I don't know what the fuck was that. <laughs> Well, well, well. Welcome to the Flea Club. I'm Karri Ojala, your host of the night. My co-host is Henrik Telki, your co-host of the night. Who is still here. Still here. Still here, still present. Wow, this might be something that that we're never going to top in this podcast. So uh, it's the unbelievable story of how we got a hold of something really interesting for you tonight. Anyway, what this show is about, if you don't know, we go through international cinema world cinema every second week here in this podcast every other week nowadays we try to like look at uh, directors careers or overall themes compassing different kinds of films and but today today's movie is of such of a mystique and intrigue tonight that we're going to take all of the shows like to tonight to just look at one single film usually we tend to pick pick our our topics in a way that you can easily track yourself down a copy from Amazon or eBay or, or you know, a streaming service. Like when we have done more obscure, more rare short films, we have taken the extra measures to make certain that if nothing else, you can find those shorts from, from a, st- a streaming service. But today we are breaking the tradition a bit. We are also breaking our promise this week for you, dear listeners. As we said, this would be the time for the Dahong Jing episode, but unfortunately it's going to be postponed by one week, simply due to the fact, because of the magnitude of the film that we're talking about now. Yeah, so today's film has never actually officially been released. This is this is one of those, those types, it's, uh, th- types of cases. Our film today, which is The Day the Clown Cried from Jerry Lewis, is is somewhat of an infamous beast. It's a, it's a 1972 feature film that Lewis originally made as an as an American French Swedish co-production was shot in in Sweden. And well there there was Backlash. There was broke. Uh, there were broken friendships. There were bills left unpaid, and the whole end result of of the debacle is that officially Lewis has always shelved the film and refused to make the final cut and refused to release it openly. However, the there exists X number. And nobody exactly knows how many of these, and and doesn't and nobody even can can actually say how finished version there exists that circulates around cinephile circles, and well attempts have been made to to get one of these unfinished cuts to them. They are also to the open market. So this is uh, produced by not watch. Burger, or however you pronounce that, who came with the idea to offer the film. Jerry Lewis was first hesitant. Jerry Lewis, who is often considered or called as the 
the king of comedy and who is known of course for his comedy shows and skills and acting career and directing as it happens tonight so jerry lewis is the director and main star of the film since there were also some trouble finding the, the lead actor so he thought that he could try try his chops here what we have as a like a plot outline is nazi germany world war Two, obviously and jerry lewis acting and playing the role of a clown who makes fun of the regime and the gestapo and adolf hitler which then results in him being captured and taken into one of these political camps. So you can see how much of an explosive and kind of controversial subject that we're dealing with here. When it comes to the original screenplay that was supposed to be quite down to earth, no humor, and to make the lead clown character more uh, dislikable, but According to some sources, at least, it, it's a, a suggested that Jerry Lewis made a number of changes to the mood and the tone of the film, adding humor here and there. As we will find out today, it wasn't always the case, but there are some lines crossed, let's say. <clears throat> we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, it's uh, going into to the, today's episode, it's important to remember that that as as you already mentioned, Jerry Lewis's background was in comedy and very kind of a in your face. I feel even obnoxious a level of slapstick. So that that's the the background from which we are coming from today. And and the the clown was supposed to be a transitioning piece for Lewis, like the film where he. Gets, gets rid of that comedic background and, and sheds his skin and becomes a respectable and noteworthy dramatic actor and also director. So there are many, many irons are on fire at the same time. We are not just dealing with, with Jerry Lewis trying to reshape his image and reshape himself as an actor, but, but also a first-time director on top of that, in in the the changes that he makes to the script, that the first time, well, comedic dramatic scriptwriter also because Lewis tempered with the original text, in my opinion, so heavily that we can also, like many have done, credit the screenplay kinda to Lewis. So there are three professions that that Lewis tries to pull off in the clown for the first time in his career. On top of him deciding to do this as a global co-production, shooting the film on to him in a foreign country where from which he has no background himself and has no experience. Like he hadn't done anything in Sweden before trying to do the clown. And still on top of that, actually dealing with with like you said with pretty heavy subject matter that even though clown is not the first holocaust film made they had been made ever since 1940s but jerry lewis still was very much an american actor very much an american filmmaker and his fan base very much or his marketplace very much was in america where 
also Holocaust cinema was something that that Americans hadn't exactly endorsed, not even completely accepted at at this point. Yeah, we're talking about an age when Schindler's List was still nowhere to be seen. It would take 21 years from this film's uh, initial shooting until we would get to that phase and and maybe overall of of tackling like really challenging angles and, and depicting historically or or in some fictional way the the events that took place in Nazi Germany. Yeah, and it bears to remember that actually Clown does depict some acts from the Nazi regime that are are so horrible and so horrendous that even Schindler's List didn't really really go, go into into you know those levels. And Henrik, this is one of the most sought after, one of the most wanted unreleased films of all time. What the hell happened? How are we how are we in the possession of this film? Like I can I can of course shed some light first on my part. Well, as you know, around the world I have some contacts. For example, the, this Belgian one and one in Holland and it just happens that these contacts happen to have some additional contacts and the web started to widen. And one of those subcontacts then got in touch by complete accident in, inside a train that was going to, uh, to Auskirch at the time, a couple of weeks ago. And he had been working with Cherry Lewis about 26 years it just it just turned turned out that that he had seen some kind of a rough cut of clown before, and he explained that that he in turn knew another person who had heard a rumor that in Jerry Lewis's circles there were some a bunch of a kind of a fanatics, but the people who already knew Jerry Lewis type of thing, these people who wanted to make like a full and complete restored completed cut. Of this film, and and that that is actually one of the items that has now kind of leaked into our hands in this podcast. Obviously, we cannot show that because that that would be a huge media circus. I think we will have enough media circus just alone by the virtue of releasing this podcast and talking about the film. We'll see how how <clears throat> how many lawsuits will be on our door. Remains to be seen. But I'm gonna take I'm gonna take responsibility for this because I own the podcast. That that's why it's so goddamn easy for me actually to do today's episode because I know that all, all, all the all the heavy lifting or you know taking the responsibility eventually falls on your shoulders. I can just say that. Oh, well, oh, I didn't though. On the other hand, I did want to share some responsibility for this action and. <laughs> and when this guy that only goes by the name of Klaus Fergusheimer, he sent you via, via mail this Betamax, a copy of the film. And uh, unfortunately, I've never had a Betamax player, but uh, since you work in those artistic circles now and you have uh, you know, contacts with the Rovaniemi movie people, you were able to get it for us in a format that we can actually watch it. And so... If anyone's gonna be knocking on anyone's doors, it's probably gonna be your door. 
<laughs> well, that, that, that ain't in the inch of, of trace to lead back to me because I, I, when I digitalized the, the, the tape, I used the university's machinery. So if there's any kind of a digital watermark, it, it will just, you know, lead back to the University of Lapland, who, who graciously, graciously, even though unknowingly let me use or at least owned the machinery that I used to, to digitalize this mess. Yeah, well, this is astonishing. But but here we are. Uh, talking about the uh, the full full product as it is, we don't have the rough cut, which would which would be an interesting thing to see in itself. But but this kind of a completed copy. So additional audios or the finished audio track was completed according to what we know in 1989, in the summer of 1989, and there was a guy called Roy Malkovich some close contact of, of Jerry Lewis's, who completed an original soundtrack for the film. The colors are pretty crisp. I mean, it's it's not digitally fully restored, you know. I think it's been done in some someone's basement without pants and all. But it's pretty remarkable, considering that it was probably just that. Yeah, also something that, that I think people are well to be uh, be aware of here as as we today try to talk about the film as you mentioned uh no finished cut actually exists and even even what we have is is not an it's, actual like yeah well it's not it's not an official official cut but but it's as official as it's probably ever gonna get and as completed as you're gonna get with this film most likely as as completed as you are going to get. That, of course, does not translate into, well, completed exactly in in traditional sense. Like you mentioned, uh, the audio of the film was finished and, and the footage, including the audio, has been enhanced by, by someone. But there still exists the, the kind of problem that since Jerry Lewis never actually cut the film into its final form, yeah. what, what, what we have here is, is an outline of a story and, and, and scenes that mostly go or, or follow what, what at least I believe is the outline. Like mostly you have a coherent narrative structure here, but you also have like these these weird scenes where some of them seem to be or at least to in in, in my opinion seems to be kind of a misplaced there there's like there's that that one scene it it, it happens near the near the halfway mark of the film when Lewis's character is is being dragged across the the camp yard and taken to to face the the Nazi commandant, and both of these characters have already been at the camp for some time. I mean, Lewis has interacted with that commandant previously in in an earlier scene, and Lewis's character has been on the camp already for some time, but now when that interaction in this particular scene starts, it starts with, once again, the commandant kind of stating who Lewis's character is. 
and reinforcing his name. I am, I am Commander Helmuth. And that, to me, kind of reads a situation where, where that scene most likely should have been earlier in the film, but they didn't exactly find the, the moment, like, where to put this. And now, now it's kind of a, the, the weirdly, in my, at least in my opinion, it, it shows up kind of too late in the movie. Yeah. Well, you know, could be just added about the history of the film that <clears throat> the screenwriter O'Brien didn't want this film to be released. It was about to be released at Cannes Film Festival, but then upon Jerry Lewis discussing this with O'Brien, whether this would be okay, it wasn't okay. In, in her opinion, it wasn't finished, at least at the time, and wouldn't be what she envisioned. And there was also this, you know, that O'Brien considered that what wasn't a finished film was too comedic and too sympathetic of a character. But uh, yeah, do we want to give like an outline of the of the what happens in the in the first scenes? Do you want to go scene by scene or just kind of randomly? I would say that we we can give a lot like a like a small synopsis of of what happens. There there is not that much of a of a story, like or plot twists. This is, this is in goddamn Christopher Nolan's Inception plot wise. The plot is is is. Well, kind of limited. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that there is this uh, circus where, where the film starts, supposed to be in Nazi Germany. And we see the main character, played by Cherry Lewis, Helmut Dork, dressed as a clown. Uh, and the show doesn't quite, quite go to his liking. And he complains to his wife that, well, I'm a husband and this is not really working and the wife is... On, on the contrary, just going like, no, no, that's not true at all. Are you completely losing yourself? Then one day when Dork is coming back from, from work at the circus tent back to home, on the way, there's a girl by, by the roadside digging some dirt on, on the ground and then, then Helmut is walking by there and then just checking out what is wrong with this girl. Like, hey, hey, do you need help or something? makes funny faces to the, to the girl. But then there is a Gestapo car going by the, that same gravel road. It just turns out that they stop there and they, for kind of an unknown reason, uh, it still kind of baffles me, but the officer gets out of the car and then wants Helmut Dork to eat cow dung. So he orders him to do it, but then the gun from the officer's holster slips and now now it kind of changes the dynamics because he had been pointing the gun at Helmut, but then the other gun drops, and then after a very short-lived scuffle, the officer falls down, and then Helmut orders him to eat the cow shit. But he leaves it at that and just escapes from the scene as soon as he has finished his kind of line. It's, it's, it's kind of, because he is he's a clown, I think he has this performance quality about about him he likes to make officers eat cow shit okay what happens then well uh, following that helmut hurries back to, to back to his wife uh, this is one one of those once again scenes where where you start to 
start to see the Jerry Lewis, Lewis effect creeping into the film. Helmut makes the remark that you, to, to his wife, you never knew, know, or you, you never guess who I had lunch with. Yeah. And, and unfortunately for Helmut, the, the Gestapo is actually really good at, at finding his address and where he lives. So, somehow, I, I'm guessing, you know, being a professional you know, circus clown that, that kind of does not help you to, to blend into the faceless mask. But anyways, they, they find him, and for his actions, the original trouble was, was Helmut to- talking to the girl, but now the official charge is assaulting an officer. And they also, because they can't reveal that, that Helmut has forced the officer to, to eat cow dung, that, that part of his charge is, is changed to attempted murder. The, and that's the, the kind, of, kind of original incident that lands Helmut in the camps, ma- making fun and officially poking fun and officially violently resisting the regime. And those are the original crimes. Uh, Helmut lands himself in, in the camps where he's immediately kind of a catches the eye of, of, of the guards. Uh, Helmut's own attitude. Uh, this is one of the, the darker sides of the character that, that were there in the original script. That does not help the matter that, that Helmut himself portrays himself as, as this famous comedian and and high class clown mostly mostly to the other prisoners at the camp but naturally of course the guards also hear him he's posting and this kind of leads helmut into confrontation with the with the other prisoners as since they they now see helmut as as a world class class how profile like funniest guys ever type of clown they immediately start to ask ask Helmut to, to kind of tell story, jokes and and somehow alleviate the the situation they are in. Helmut fails to do this, however, uh, which leads into a schism with, with between him and and the other prisoners who kind of feel that betrayed, feel lied to. They they have been told sold this image of a of a great clown, and it turns out that he's not. However, there are separated from this main group, which Helmut is part of. There is a secondary group which is Jewish children, and <clears throat> see when when I mentioned that that there are some aspects in this film and its story that the children's list didn't really dwell deep into. It is it is the, the the child prisoners and and their faith in the camp, but anyways the the mm. the Jewish children kind of take a liking to Helmut that that slapstick style that he tries to to portray in the camp works for them much better than the older prisoners, and this kind of leaves Helmut forming a bond. Between be, between him him and and the children, which of course is a kind of a big problem on the camp because 
they, uh, it turns out that the group of prisoners that Helmut is part of, they are not me- uh, supposed to interact with the children. Yeah. So, so he's kind of breaking the rules. He is, and uh, I found the prisoner friends also very sympathetic, but the, the way that he was trying to... Always, always the clown is trying to push kind of his and sell himself as a clown. And, and sometimes I, I felt that it was a little capricious in a way that, you know, he would swing from one mood to the next. And you could not quite figure out what, what this guy is about. It's obviously some kind of a self-protection mechanism, but maybe to the level that it becomes a little bit irritating when he's making you know, funny faces and pulling the tongue out and then making some <laughs> sounds to the inmates. Yeah, that does not help. Help Lewis's transitioning at at all. Yeah. Uh, we kind of have, I guess, have to later later in the in the talks have to to address this in a, a second time because. There may be reasons why the fuck this actually starts and keeps happening during the film. But when it comes to Helmut's character, I was kind of getting the impression that in in the early parts, in the first scenes of, 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 of the film with Helmut, he, he was supposed to be kind of like depressed, like like suffering from depression on, on top of the fact that, that he kind of a was a character who felt that he he was greater greater and better than than what the circus gave him a possibility to to showcase with that kind kind of a gave the feeling feeling that that the circus didn't give him a fair shake fair treatment and right. that kind of would have been a problem for Helmut because like in the early scenes when he he Tell, tells his wife that he's not exactly sure of his future within the circus, that there is a chance that he might lose his job. So there would be also, big, big, stemming from all of this, there, there also would be this, this kind of a that feeling of dread, like, like the feeling that I might lose my job, and that would be extremely terrifying to Helmut, because being a clown is, is the only job he really has. So... Yeah. When it comes to his antics in the camp, it might be a combination of all of that. A clown suffering from depression, having the mood swings from from one side to another might also be... The film never really touches upon this, but it, it could be that the scriptwriter was trying to portray more bipolar disorder than, than just depression, but turns turns into depression in, in Lewis's rewrites. Could well, also be the case. Well, now that I think about it, there could be some kind of a mini, psych, not even a mini, like a mega psychosis going on in, in a way that, you know, the guy has been captured by the goddamn Gestapo, and now he's on this imprisonment camp and basically the only thing that the guy can focus on instead of worrying and just diving into deep depression is making funny faces to to his friends at 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 the camp and all this (laughs) and then doing this flying wing flappity flap things 
I don't know what the fuck was that. <laughs> I I I don't know. Like I, I suppose it's stemming, as you said, all the way from the circus who deemed that he is not good enough, and now he just wants to show how good he is. Yeah, uh, but it can also, like you said, be be a kind of a coping mechanism. Yeah. Some something that he tries to pull off to to make make sense of the situation to himself. Yeah, but uh, I think he's taking it a little bit too far like he, he is he he goes under the bunks of his friends during the night and then tr- kind of punches on the wood like making making some kind of a ham-fisted joke with the with the saying of i'm gonna touch wood now he literally touches the wood and then irritates the hell out of everyone and almost gets his ass kicked for it yeah, and partly partly that that could work like in in that depression bipolar realm of the possibility that the character might be, be portraying but of course from from the character's perspective that does not make rational sense yeah like Hel- helmut you you are a prisoner on on a nazi camp like it's it's not the best goddamn place for your own well-being because you know guards happen to be nazis to make make you know funny faces and pull up pull tongue and do do all, all these all these goddamn antics like from that perspective it's it's kind of a, it's it's self-sabotaging from from helmut's part and even though you might be like okay yeah well this is just you know that the personal the, the the psychological turmoil within the character and this is him kind of a, this is him suffering from a mental illness he can't help this but yeah. even with that, it does create a goddamn harsh tone shift within the film. Yeah, and I, I couldn't understand why he had to push all the most part of his energy of this clown act on this one guy who has the... They, they call him Spruce because his f- funny hair... Well, it actually looks like a goddamn Christmas tree. But uh, so that, I think, clicks on something in his brain and he st- starts to make these clown faces for him and all this things well it it could be it, it could be this is this is something where i'm well the the official script has the, like the the final script that they used has never surfaced there the does circulate some drafts of of the script to like but i believe they are previous versions yeah yeah they have some differences but there are a couple of versions circulating. Yep. And because there is no final script, because Louis never really explained to anyone what the fuck he, what was going on with the film and what he was trying to do. And because the film itself was never released, it's hard to say if this is just me reading too much into things or if this is once again something that Louis was trying to do. But couldn't do or started attempting to do and then just dropped it off in the middle of the project. But I kind of saw some of these antics as Louis trying to portray himself through his character as some type of a, of a freedom fighter. I, I kind of get this, this, this sense that, that somewhere within the script that, that Louis was writing... 
or changing. Lewis had this idea that he could portray Helmut Dork as as an anti-establishment character, someone who goes into the uh, into the camp, uh, kind of in the same vein as as Paul Newman's character in Cool Hand Luke, like like a person who is within the system and can't leave the system, can't break out of it, because both characters are in, in prison confinement, but who still refuses to budge, and who still somehow tries to rebel against the authority and break the kind of the, the inner system, take away the, the power from the guards. And this kind of, kind of like, like Helmut's stubborn and and self-harming kind of a obsession to just keep on doing these antics could be could be Lewis trying to portray some something like this like this kind of side of his character i think it's kind of almost open hostility what we see here sometimes for example take the character of well carl schmidt carl schmidt was the original name of helmut dork but then Lewis apparently changed the name to Helmut Dork. Ha ha ha, Dork. Ha ha ha. So, Carl Schmidt is now one of the characters that appear to be, well, quite frankly, the most boring character of the entire group of inmates. He's just staring into emptiness. So, I think this is some kind of a <coughs> not-so-nice gesture towards O'Brien that me, 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 this is my place and I'm going to command how the story is going to build. Now that you mention it, it actually could be. Yeah, I because, yeah. because with that change from Carl Smith to Helmut Dork, the character, as you mentioned, changed drastically. In the, in the original scripts, Smith was supposed to be even worse character than what Helmut Dork is. He was, he was Carl Smith of the story originally was a complete asshole. A guy who... There was not that scene scene with the girl and the Gestapo officer at the beginning of the film. Schmidt was con- just only confined within the circus tent. And inside the circus world, Schmidt was con- constantly kind of a scheming how, how he can get to himself the position of the top clown. He was kind of a trying to... Like there, there was this hierarchy that there's one, one clown who is the main clown, who gets the most spotlight every night and gets to call the shots for the clown group. And Schmidt was kind of a scheming exactly how I can get rid of this guy. He was, he was, essentially he was, he was planning on backstabbing his boss. He just didn't know how to do it. And once he gets, Schmidt gets in trouble with, with the Gestapo, Schmidt actually starts to collaborate with the Gestapo. He he rats out everybody within the circus, uh, not e- even to a point where it doesn't matter to him if if what he's telling is is the truth or if he's just fabricating accusations against his fellow circus folk. So, but but Schmidt does this in attempt to be to kind of save his own skin. It doesn't work for him, so he so he eventually lands inside the camp. But this is kind of the original Schmidt that you had, and 
then Jerry Lewis comes in and changes the character completely. He he keeps some of the, the, the depression part, but, well, when it comes to Schmidt collaborating, or when it comes to Schmidt actively trying to backstab other circus workers in order to advance his own career, all those aspects are kind of being cut out of, from Helmut Dork, who is very much kind of underdog type of character. Yeah, but uh, many, many bits and pieces uh, still remain, I suppose, from the screenplay that they that they shot with, because because Dork is anything but a nice character. You, know, you, you probably remember the morning when he stood out and it was time to get out of the to get outside and get some fresh air. And what he does is he just locks the door, leaves the two guys in there. What is this supposed to be? Like some kind of a... And he's just laughing outside, like, ha, ha, ha. What was the artistic decision-making that led to this one? That's, a, that's once again, this film being kind of messy to try to, to piece together. Because, like mentioned, Louis does intentionally keep Keep also some of the negative parts of Carl Schmidt, yeah. like and, and this is this once again comes into that that tone clash that the film has. Helmut Dork is not meant to be seen as an all-out good guy. He's not meant to be an all-out like one hundred percent kind of his heart or any type of hero. Like the the, the character that that Louis still tries to to do here, to tries to portray here, is, is like you mentioned, still supposed to be an asshole. Yeah. And, and supposed to be a k- kind of bad dude, but not to the extent that, that the original Schmidt was. Yeah. Somehow, Louis da- is, is not comfortable taking Helmut Dork to those levels. Like, the collaboration aspect is completely lost with, with Dork. And what you get more is this is anti-authoritarian side of the character. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's so tonally all over the place sometimes. Like, for example, sometimes they have this moment when there are no guards watching in, in this there's this one corner where they can see all the time so they kind of are able to sit around there on the yard and discuss about life for a few minutes at a time when the guards are taking the turns going from direction to direction around the camp and yeah it just happens that there is this very intimate and nice moment with this one guy this Karl Warschritt who is talking about his wife and what the wife suffered during the war and how they take, took him by force and all those nice memories that they have about the... Well, frankly, they're talking about a romantic dinner that they had at this uh, cabanos in a, in a true German fashion one summer night. And yeah, this is this very somber and nice intimate moment. And then on the next moment, he's going to make those clown faces again at the fence for these little children. And followed by running back inside and doing this horrible, horrible, evil tricks on on this on this poor guy who's just trying to fucking sleep at night. So, and by the way, this scene where we had this intimate moment, where you're wondering what those kind of a green cylindrical structures are, a blurred on the background. 
Did you figure that out, what they were? I... I didn't figure out what they were. Well, I don't know what is the kind of the source of this shot and if this was supposed to be indeed in the end product, but it's kind of awkward. If you look at the kind of the close-ups of Helmut looking somber and looking like ice going down to the ground and in the background you see that these 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 items keep changing. So so there are two of these cylindrical objects and these were portable toilets which were of course not supposed to be in those screens and something happened to that in the next shot another portable toilet it caught fire so they had to just take it out so and in the next shot one of them is gone it is what it is oh god okay i i oh, oh, of course immediately thought that that since this is supposed to be Lewis is like big take into into serious filmmaking. He would have made certain that 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 type of mistakes are not left or are not being caught by the camera. Yeah, well, it's a, it's the poor guy's first film, so. Still, 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 this this is something that I would believe Lewis was coming on, you know, winning him best picture and best actor Oscars or at least nominations. Well, it was it was sloppy to have it at the camp to begin with. It it was it was uh, there, there's also like it it's never established what camp they are in. They they yeah. are in in Camp X. It's it's not Auschwitz because the the fi- uh, during the final moments of of the film or, or at towards the end of the movie. Helmut finds out that from this camp they are shipping people, or, or they they are they put people on trains and send them to Auschwitz. Yeah. So so this is this is an unknown camp that is not Auschwitz, and be, because of that, it's kind of hard to say exactly what how the camp was supposed to be, but you still start start to see in in X number of scenes that. First of all, the, the set that they built is not really that big. The Nazis themselves had much bigger camps than what what is what is the camp on the film where Helmut is being confined. And you also start to notice that it's it's very much like you have you have barbed wire fence area here, like a t- type of boxed area. With mm. with barbed wire fence and you have only a few actual buildings in, in in your camp, so you start to notice that the limitations of the set and the kind of the small scale of the set that they are mm. using. It's it's and of course it it has to be mentioned. This is not just you know. The clown's mistake. It's not like there was this grand tradition of really huge multi-million dollar budget Holocaust films that that all had these lavish sets. Of course not. But the clown is is something closer to to Ilsa the She Wolf of SS tier when it comes to to the the location that they built or the set. Yeah, there was one heartwarming moment when, well, it's a pretty impressive set and they had 
built all these all these guard towers to all the four corners of the camp. And on one of these, when they were trying to take take the take, uh, one of the guards gone got kind of stuck into the into the whole structure, and then he tried to jerk it out of there. But it just happened that he finally fell off. The structure kind of a half collapsed. I don't know where was this kind of a work safety involved in here, and he got kind of a tangled into the whole barbed wire and and then Jerry Lewis the director just ran directly into the scene and helped the poor guy out of it so that was a interesting moment like an inmate helping maybe they could have left it inside the inside the movie kind of a nice story it would have kind of kind of helped at least the the whole camaraderie aspect between the inmates or the prisoners within the camp. Yeah. Okay. What do we have next here? Yeah. I I really was kind of perplexed about this scene. This is the scene where Helmut goes during the night. He sneaks outside, and there is this uh, one where the kind of got cafeteria for for the guards. So they spend the night there and talk nonsense and listen to radio and all this Heil Hitler stuff. And when they do that, that there is. There's also this kind of a canisters of of paint, and at the time it was lead paint, so so they used to do that for you know, coloring all of the wooden structures around the camp. But being the clown that Helmut is, he of course kind of a snuck in when the guards weren't watching. He was able to collect two of these canisters and one brush, and he ran off back back to his barracks and. There he was able to use the lead paint to put on the red and the white makeup for his face. He kind of a <clears throat> extreme choice, but you gotta do what you gotta do. That that you kind of have to. But it's fair enough, you know. You can't keep the clown clown makeup on at the camp, so you have to get it somewhere. And uh, you know he's the clown; he has to have have the makeup. So they had to make the backstory how he got the makeup. And that, like, even even though it it suffers because it works as a backstory for for Helmut, then having the makeup. But I kind of saw that in individual scene, like like the moment when he when he steals the paint canisters and and paints his face. To me, that was one of the more somber moments of of the film and. I, I I would say kind of one of the strongest scenes in in the film, not te- technically wise, but in in the sense that I, to me, it it felt like in that moment Helmut is is kind of a most shown really accepting and wanting to accept his identity as as a clown. Like to to yeah. me, I I I saw a lot of that that depression angle. And also that uh, Helmut kind of a grasping into I am a clown and I have to put the make the happy face on I have to put the makeup on aspect of of, of his character in order to to survive or, or kind of a, to mentally last the the situation and and the fact that he is now where he is. What about the story of those those red balls? Because he stole those also that he could make the funny faces with the with the red nose. I'm not sure what what that item was, but 
it was also stolen around the camp. I don't know if the if the guards were using these red balls for target practice or what was the idea, but that's that's why the ball had this convenient hole so he could just stuck the ball to his nose just like that. Well, with the ball, it, it ties ties together together with uh, with Helmut once again making himself look like the clown. The, the, the Helmut invoking the, the clown. Yeah. Or or his clown identity, but him specifically stealing stealing the ball. Did, I don't get it. It's going too I, far. But yeah, it's it's, it, it's so it far apart his persona that he has decided that well, whatever the cost, I'm gonna be the clown until the end. I don't know. I mean, I I was kind of thinking in that moment is that once again Jerry Lewis trying to portray the the anti-authoritarian side of Helmut. Could be. And 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 in here like like I I fully confess that this may just be in my head and me just reading too much into things as I occasionally do here, but the the kind of the, the main main reason why I started to ask this is because is because that the ball, the ball itself is much more physical object than than the paint. They, they, they both, of course, they, they have, they, they are physical objects, yes. But that the paint is is kind of a, it's it's two cans of paint, yeah. And and you you have quite a lot of paint in in the, in the cans. But the ball, the ball is just one ball, and Helmut does not, in my opinion. In order to become a clown, he doesn't really, truly, one hundred percent need the ball. That the whole, whole I stole the paint and I, I painted my face aspect. It's, it's going to, of course, it's, it's obviously going to show to the, to the Nazis, that the, the guards, they are going to notice that, and Helmut, Helmut realizes that and still does it. But mm. with the ball, he's, he's kind of a. To me, the ball was kind of a Helmut painting the bullseye or, or the target on his nose. Like that, that's so obvious. The Nazis are going to no, notice it. And and at that point, yeah. it's not just Helmut stole two paints, cans of paint. It's Helmut stole two cans of paint and a ball. So yeah. I I kind of I I'm not certain if if if. Going so extreme, going so far that that he uses the ball. If that was, if if Lewis once again was trying to to kind of kind of do do the Helmut is is a is a rebel in in his heart kind of aspect of the character. Yeah, well, this is continued by another scene that quite doesn't make sense in this context as well. It, it, the film is all over, Henrik. You know. There is one moment where there is a little respite where they get to rest for a couple of moments, and and then it cuts back to the morning where the the prisoners are in formation outside and the Nazi officer is go walking back and forth there and shouting something something in German. I don't know what they why they kept that part of the line partly in, in German, but anyway, and he's asking. Where is the red ball and where are these goddamn paints, essentially? Nobody is answering, but Helmut is making these funny faces in the row because he's like, you know, he knows he's almost like <laughs> there, but uh, doesn't quite get there because he can't make noises. It's a matter of life and death. 
But then this then then this lead officer goes inspect you know the the place where they they are sleeping in, goes inside, opens the door, and now the red and the, the white paint fall on on his face. And that's kind of pushing it. And as we know, then the officer covered in paint in, in that madness and. For some reason, they keep clinging on to this clown. They don't want to get rid of the clown. They keep him alive all the time because they think he is somehow incredibly precious for their what's about to become, what's about to come for their next mission. Well, he's incredibly, incredibly precious because he's the main character of the story, and the Nazis have read the script. There's that. But what is this great mission, Henrik? Why they want to? have this guy alive well <sighs> it's because this uh, there are these little girls that need to be put into the gas chamber so yeah it's to help them because he is the most likable or he has like a connection as you said to the girls so it's easy to use this this clown to get them 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 to their ultimate faith yeah, the, the Nazis eventually uh, they, they essentially they take the uh, Helmut's clown personality or, or, or they take the clown and they turn him turn him into a, into a paid piper whose whose job is to to lead the children to the chambers and i like like you asked what is the great mission why do they need the clown I, honest to God, I don't realize why did they need the clown. Yeah. It's it's bunch of kids. You are a gro- and and the guards are grown ups mm-hmm. who have weapons. I I honestly I don't realize what the hell was the 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 Nazi plan. Why they have to have to trick the children. To, to go to the cast chambers, why don't they just force him? I understand, like like Helmut character wise, why this the story plays that way. That's supposed to like like from that perspective, it does fuel into this this kind kind of a uh, character shift that happens in Helmut in the last third of the film. It's it's meant to that you need that plot point so that at the end of the film Helmut can be accepting of the situation and eventually, well, not even sacrifice himself, but 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 well. Kind of sacrificing himself, kind of suiciding himself. You need need the whole paid piper aspect for that purpose. But but if you ask what is the great Nazi plan here, I really don't know. Yeah, me neither. And why even go to such length that they have like a discussion after this whole paint uh, episode in the in the offices of the regime, and they make the offer for. The clown that you can lead these girls to their death you know what you're doing but in, in exchange of course we will keep you alive uh, uh, what do you think about that so the answer to this is not given in this scene from him but it's quite clearly indicated that what follows next here is that they're walking in line to this train to be packed there and then taken to this gas chamber location from train to truck to the gas chamber and then decides to join the girls there because you know what kind of a 
adult would you be if you would not be there for the last moments of, of children? On the other hand, there's nothing there to anymore do for these children. Yeah, that that it is. Uh, like the very very final scene, which is which is Helmut suiciding slash sacrificing himself. That is kinda supposed to be, in my opinion, that the emotional or, or or the inner redemption of of Helmut, like in that moment. Helmut uses the one talent that he has, his profession as the clown, and and uses that to trick the children not to realize exactly what's going to happen to them until it has happened. Kind of take away some of the pain from that during that final moment, and yeah, fine. That 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 kind of works from once again from Helmut the character perspective. And you can also kind of see, uh, read it the way, way, way like you did that that Helmut has lost his faith in the in the humanity and is kind of a like, well, what what is the point? I might uh, uh, just as well. I can just you know also finally just get it over with and and I myself because there is no better future and I can use these last moments to to make the situation bearable for these girls. Mm. Then again. Helmut making this decision in in a grander scheme of things doesn't really mean anything. It, it means that one extra person is being cast alive. It doesn't change really anything in the camp. It doesn't change anything in the regime. It, it like it's it's kind of like you you have have the, the rebellious aspect of the character. Possibly, I'm not entirely certain if if Louis was trying to do that. But I kind of saw it, so I, to me, it was kind of like you have the rebellion, and then it just fizzles out into, well, never did anything, never achieved anything, and then died. Yeah, it's a it's a weird, mixed feeling, somber moment where the girls are next to the wall inside this gas chamber, and the last audience that is left for him. Well, that was uh, an experience. That was an experience. I guess that kind of covers the the main scenes of the day the clown cried. So I I think this movie started with the with the best intentions and and I think the original script might be the best. On the other hand, I don't have a problem with making the character of Dork more likable. I don't think it's it's really well. Actually, it's it's kind of more challenging to publish kind of a film where you have somebody is inside the camp as a prisoner and he's not likable why, why would you would why would you like to do that really I, I'm okay with him being likable but being absurd and completely childish to adults and children alike I don't know what's going on why was this film made mm, I think it was an experiment that went a bit wrong and I wouldn't mind to see a remake of this film. I think I think it had some interesting grounds to begin with, and and the the, the basic story outline is great. Why not? You know, have some easier moments inside um, inside camps. Why not? That is an interesting experiment because all of these films that ever go into camps in World War Two, they're always horrible. And everybody is suffering, and you rarely even see any 
light moments there, which they also had. So I, I, I'm interested in exploring that side of the camps live. Well, it, it's kind of a lot eventually to tackle all of this. Um, the, the, the day the clone cried, it's it's not the only film that tries to do Holocaust comedy or extermination camp comedy. Mm. The, the, that that part of 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 genre it's it's very very limited for <clears throat> for obvious goddamn reasons but there have been attempts like uh, life is a beautiful um, is beautiful or Jacob the liar yeah. and like, like, like when it comes to trying to do that st- stuff the clone was the first uh, Jacob the Liar came out in 1999, and Life is Beautiful, was it, was it early 2000s? Was it? Somewhere um, around there. 1999? Uh, Jacob the Liar was, okay. was yeah, it, it, it's the Robin Williams feature. Yeah. And then you have the, the Italian Roberto Benigni film from 1997 to be exact. Life is Beautiful. Uh, both of these films were much more better received than, than Clown. Uh, Life is Beautiful went on and won one Oscar. Best Picture was critically well received. And especially Life is Beautiful does, does a lot of, lot of the same type of material. Or, 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 or is very much in the same spirit as The Day the Clown Cried. It's it's not as impressive or in your face like it it, it doesn't have that like that that big great goofy goofy ha 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 aspect that that clown yeah. has, but very much the story actually is is very similar. It it's tell it tells a story about a man who meets a woman that are goofy antics like the woman is is being stung in in her leg by a bee and and the, the man comes in and starts to suck the, the poison out of the leg and that's how they meet this is the level of comedy we are dealing with here come together form a family have a kid later on family uh, the man and the kid end up in a camp where the dad takes the the role of a clown for his kid yeah. In order to help help his son to survive the experience, so you you have a lot of this this similar stuff that you have in clown, a grown up acting as a clown to children to to kind of make the experience more more well acceptable. Yeah, and and but even though even though clown is not the only one that that did it, clown perhaps is the first one tried to take this road. And that might kind of explain away, at least partly, why why the film was received like it was received. Why there's, there pretty soon started to, to form this backlash against the film and why, why Lewis would start to get cold feet up on about the whole thing should he release the movie at the end. When it comes to to Lewis himself, when it comes to a- asking the question, should this film be done? Is is the film evil? Is is Lewis evil? No. 
no, I, I wouldn't say that Lewis was a, had bad intentions. But some people people attack the film stating that it's it's making fun of of the victims of the no. Holocaust. No, I don't think so. This is not coming off from the original script and it's not coming off in the final product as as far as I see it. Uh, there's actually it's a quite of a somber movie apart from this partial goofing that I can understand why he needed yeah. to do that. But no, it's not making fun of the victims and there are a lot of parts that I quite enjoyed and it was an interesting experiment, so it is it is an interesting experiment. And with with all, all, all that laughing at the victims, you uh, if you kind of kind of throw that accusation against the clown, you can also ask like, well, well, isn't life is beautiful? Also laughing laughing at the victims. With yeah. that all said, however, I don't think that Lewis was the right person to actually attempt this film. Partly because because Lewis himself as a as a like like off screen Lewis, with, with Jerry Lewis you you had two persons essentially you had Jerry Lewis, the the man and you had Jerry Lewis the performance which is what you saw in in every interview what you saw in the films yeah every time somebody was looking Jerry Lewis essentially was was putting up an act and what I've yeah. understood of Jerry Lewis outside of that act. Jerry Lewis was kind of an asshole. Okay. Yeah, which I, was, I heard rumors that he wasn't particularly like, liked by at least, what was it, one actor or actress who described that it was a bit of a pain to work with, with him sometimes. Yeah, and, and there, there are like disowned children and, and stuff like that. Uh, the, the day the clown cried itself is... Is as as mentioned in in the beginning of the episode, it, it, it's a film that that's that marked an ending for a number of friendships. Every time there is some comedic element here, it's still very much kind of a, against the Nazis, of course, and, and it's kind of making the Nazis. It makes them look as ridiculous as possible. Even that kind of a paint trick, the paint falling on the officer's head from above, above the door, it's the the biggest amount of kind of making them look ridiculous that they can possibly muster to do at the camp. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, then again, we can kind of ask ourselves, uh, did that comedy really, like, like where did it even come from? Yeah, and yeah. Did, it, did it come from a right place? Why did Jerry Lewis do it? Yeah. Like, this, this once again, kind of a dwells deep into into a one possible reading of of Jerry Lewis the man the inmates have kind of lost perhaps their hope uh, towards getting out of the camp or it's just that they are so tired of of their current situation that they're ready to do anything and everything maybe even Helmut had some some colleagues who contributed to the whole pain trick uh yeah yeah like like story wise yes what what I'm I'm more asking is like why did Jerry Lewis insert all the comedy here? That is uh, tougher not to crack. I think it's just that he the guy just can't contain himself. <laughs> he is obsessed with humor and wants to push the boundaries of humor, and it's not quite always working here. And 
well, I actually think that you are at least partly right with that because everything that you saw ever, Jerry Lewis, in in front of camera, now not in counting with with his last interviews where he was like really bullish and an out outright asshole at least at times to the to the uh, during the interviews mm-hmm. and and kind of bullying the interviewers but uh, like this is an earlier time point Jerry Lewis when when that act was more complete and during this time uh, kind of every time you saw Jerry Lewis he he was being being energetic he was being eccentric he was he was being like 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 a comedian, like a clown, mm. he he always he he did that those those slapstick stunts in in his interviews. There there's that that film footage, uh, the the news footage when Jerry Lewis originally lands in in Sweden and is walking out of the airport, and this is the time when he's doing the location scouting in Sweden, and he's just arrived for that, and he's also goofing around and and making making an act. So, I, I would say that one part of of why the comedy is here most likely is that Jerry Lewis can't help himself. Jerry Lewis can't, especially if if he's trying to kind of safeguard and and hide his his assholeish nature. That that would could kind of lead into a situation where every time he somehow does about something or expresses something about himself in a public way, he feels that he has to, he has to kind of uh, fall back into those comedic aspects just so yeah. that he can, he can, he can hide the truth of, of what type of person he is. But I do think that there is, is more than that, like that there might be a more noble attempt from Jerry Lewis. There might also be a big, pretty big business motive behind this. Like, <sighs> Jerry Lewis has has said previously that that he he sees comedy as a safety valve. Like w- without comedy, we would yeah. He has said that without comedy, we would dis- disappear. We would evaporate. And I I don't think that uh, think a man. Uh, the, once again, this is this is Jerry Lewis's quotation from Jerry Lewis. But I don't think a man could work. A family could function. I don't think humanity humanity would prevail without laughter. End quote. And so, when it comes to to clown, on a noble, more noble end, this might be Jerry Lewis trying to take the comedy that he sees essential for humanity, and he may try to to implement in it into an act that. Well, everybody agrees was the biggest crime against humanity in in the humanity's history. So Jerry Lewis would look at something so so appalling and and so horrifying as as Holocaust, and he could be trying to bring humanity into the equation through comedy, and that could also kind kind of explain away why why he felt that he has to constantly kind of a forcibly rewrite the comedy into the script because something that that Jerry Lewis has also said is that my philosophy of comedy is a man in trouble thereby the grace of God go I 
which which can be kind of seen that that Jerry Lewis sees his comedy as as something that that it stems from him being in a trouble, a trouble like like him being on empty empty stage having to do comedy because that's what he does and that's also what he would be doing here he well, he would want to in, to insert the humanity into holocaust and at the same time the only way how how he can bring bring that comedic element into the film is by well not really having a strong plan how to, how to do it but kind of a trying to to do his stick trying to do improvise as he's rewriting the script and the only style of comedy that he can revert back to is is his slapstick that he has a hell of a lot of experience from so when he inserts comedy into holocaust it's slapstick on the other hand the ability to do comedy in a Nazi concentration camp, this is kind of the ultimate strength of a human to still show that kind of a lighthearted nature when you're facing death sentence. Bringing that into the camp, that's, that's, that makes the Jews all the more powerful in, in those scenes. It, it, it does to, to an effect. It, it, it does to an effect. Then, then again, well... This, this being Jerry Lewis, this being his his style of comedy, I I think that at at times it might even like like steal emotion from from the ex- exactly how horrible this situation is, and it might even steal a spotlight from from the other Jewish characters or the Jewish community or or even the Holocaust itself because that slapstick constantly paints the or, or, or draws the spotlight on Louis who is being the clown and yeah. something that in the in this notion troubles me is the question that I have been asking for myself did Jerry Lewis need, feel that he had to have comedy in in the clown because he was trying to one up Charlie Chaplin, who previously had also done uh, a Nazi, but by that route, uh, kind of a, a comedy film that that poked fun of of Nazis, that poked fun of Hitler, that poked fun also also the Holocaust in the form of the Great Dictator, which is often seen as one of Chaplin's best films and and mm. one of the best greatest comedy films ever made. It it has like. Well, like today, today we we often remark that Chaplin's, for example, Chaplin's speech in in that film at the end of the film, don't don't be machine men. Speech is the is one of the greatest speeches ever performed. So, is is the comedy in clown because Jerry Lewis felt that that the business need or the ego need to to compete with Chaplin, and trying to one up the great dictator. Perhaps I might have some further thoughts in our quickies. Are you willing to go here? Well, why not? Special mention for an actor goes to... Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, it, it goes to Jerry Lewis, who, who is the, the, the main star of the film. Well, the film is what it is, but... Lewis carries it on on his shoulders. Then again, that that comes with with, with the caveat that, well, 
Louis gives himself that the Helmut Dork is given the most character, he's, he's been given the most time on the screen. Also the small fact that, that Helmut, it's easy for Helmut Dork to stand out, out from this cast of characters because that the casting decisions behind the scenes were kind of what they were. Helmut's wife, for example, in, in, in the film, is, is being portrayed by a very famous Swedish a- actress, whose name kind of escapes me at the moment. Harriet Andersson. Yeah, precisely her. Did hell of a lot of stuff with Perryman. So, very professional, very appreciated, very talented actress. Does not really get that much time here. Most likely is is on the film because, well... Obligations? Because, yeah, obligations because of the Swedish funding. Yeah. And then again, another batch of, of Swedish actors, uh, these often being the, the guys who portray, the, for example, the Nazis and the guards, Louis did castings and asked to Swedish actors, actors who he knew or whose, whose name he got from Jack Kotschak, who was the main producer from the, from the Swedish end for this film, and he would call these actors, actors, and ask them that, do, do you speak English? And often would hear hear the remark that that I I speak little, not not very much, no, because once again Swedish actor actors and and this being a moment when when English was not so heavily taught in Sweden, and this actually would be something that Jerry Lewis himself would want in his films. He would want that that kind of a broken English pronunciation. He would want this, the Swedish accent because to him that kind of a telegraph the, the dialogue and the expression as, as foreign. Yeah, like, but there yeah. there is also the unfortunate moment when, I forget the character's name, but played by Margaret Carlson, who didn't speak almost a word of English. So I suppose it was supposed to be dubbed. It's just a, her mouth is moving in the background. You don't see it, see it so well. But in the background, you hear this Swedish background noise, let's say. So she's speaking completely in Swedish, which makes it a bit of a confusing experience. It it does. It does. And because of this, like because of, of, of the intent that went on behind the scenes when it came to casting of the film, well, like mentioned, special mention to an actor goes to Jerry Lewis, but then again, this really isn't an even competition. No, and not to mention that that Spanish guy who just appears there. Yeah, I never figured out why the hell he is on the on the film. <sighs> must must be sorted as in the budget because you know in the the first few weeks they had to work with the only money that they had received from the producer who had sent, what was it, like $5,000 and was supposed to follow that up with the following tens of thousands, which would have been gravely needed. But so maybe they got some Spanish guy. It it could be, it, it could be, like, as, as mentioned, that the production of the film is, is also kind of kinda nightmare, like, when, when it comes to the Swedish side of things, uh, Jack Kocak and Jerry Lewis, Started the project as as very dear, uh, well not dear, but but good friends who were in very good speaking terms, and Kocak helped Louis a lot when he was making the film in Sweden, but 
something happens during the production. Nobody knows why. What? Uh, some of the actors have reported that that Lewis was not nice person on the set. That he was erratic. That he was aloof. Some have even reported that he was taking painkillers for his back pains, and yeah. those painkillers would have, well, unspecified strange effects on the man. This is something that comes, for for example, from Harriet Anderson, who has who has stated these things. So we don't know what happened behind the scenes, but we do know that Terry Lewis did not pay all the wages or or or. or uh, they did not pay all the wages to the actors. Uh, is that it's not actually so, or is it kind of like it was supposed to be the actual producers' conundrum to pay some of those remaining payments? But um, some people definitely did get paid, and they were happy. Uh, yeah. Uh, you asked, what was it? Was it the, the responsibility of of the producers to pay? Yeah. Uh, could be. Could of course be. That's that's something that. Is is fair and important to state here. Yeah, but I, a- I originally ma- made the argument that it was Jerry Lewis's obligation, and and he fed those actors that we, he didn't pay the full sum to. But of course, in in fairness's name, it could be also that it it was the producers who who fucked the actors over here. Yeah, it's a but, bit confusing because still Jerry Lewis used what two million of his own dime to finish the film, and this. Seems that this was a hell of a lot more money than than was supposed to be given for this project to begin with. So a bit surprising that he was not able to compensate the actors for their troubles. Yeah, don't know how much that that wagers in. I I do know that that at least some actors have have reported that they never got the full full sum. Don't know where where the fault lies, but this. Was was one of the things that eventually drove a wedge between Jack Kojak and and Jerry Lewis, who were not in speaking terms when the production ended in Sweden, yeah. and and Jerry Lewis returned back home. In fact, later on, Lewis would send a telegram to to Kojak, where he would address Kojak as to the smallest man in town which is a personal insult against Kojak. So something happened. What it is, nobody knows anymore, I guess. The, the production was like a behind-the-scenes drama of, of this production. It, it's a mess. Yeah, and also it's a bit of a interesting tidbit here is that Jerry Lewis, he really wanted to push this film out first, but then I suppose... People around him um, made him consider otherwise, and later he, he even said in interviews in later in his life, much later, that uh, he was embarrassed about the whole thing, that it was quote bad, 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 end quote. But then, a few years before his death, I understand he then again said that he was proud of it, yeah, and it sent all of the reels that he had. What was it? Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen reels of the shot material of that film, 90 minutes something of material for the Library of Congress in the United United States. And to my understanding, there is no rough cut in their hands after all, but it would be just these reels of shot scenes. 
Yeah, and, and the Library of Congress is going to have... Uh, it's going to uh, like be granted the rights to, to showcase the film in 2024 or 2025. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, uh, but that is going to be extremely limited. Like they, they can show it only on on one location. You think? Like, yeah. Okay. If if I've understood correctly, they they can they they have a, a location that they use for for showcasing film material, and they can only show it there. And they can't, for example, push it out or give it to cinema theaters or anything like that. Like, like the, the, it's it's limited to be shown only in one place. Well, it's a good thing that we have the finished copy of it, so the rest of the world has to wait still, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But I hope this has been interesting information for our listeners. Ho- hopefully, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. And our listeners also won't be completely without the film, because that the fir- uh, the 30 minutes worth of material has been leaked to the internet by by someone yeah i i don't know exactly from which source this material has been coming from it's something roughly 20 30 minutes of material bits and clips from here and there Uh, and i i wouldn't say that it's even the first 20 or 30 minutes uh but you can find it online if you're interested to look up something um, incomplete yeah, there there also are fan film versions where people have taken upon themselves to try to mm. to, to shoot or image or, or do a film based on on one of the script versions that they have found on online and perhaps also on on the back kind of the behind the scenes information that they have been they they have managed to gather so so there are these attempts to to re kind of remake reshoot the movie by individual people yeah and judging from from the material that we had gotten online in 2016 2017 and those stills that we have got a hold of from the bbc documentary released in 2015 or 2016 i, I believe uh, and 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 those yeah those those stills that they had stored somewhere in Sweden, and I would have never thought that that material that we have had at the time would actually end up looking like this that we have been talking about. So it definitely had some surprises up its sleeve. This film, what resonated with you the most in this film or the least? Uh, well, uh, we, most. Would be the ending. No, no surprise there. In, in that situation, his his sole job is is to tr- somehow try to distract the children. Yeah. And 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 alleviate the situation. In in there, I think that that you know it, it, the, the the Jerry Lewis Lewis kind of a face twisting slapstick routine. It's not really a problem. What resonated with me the least, however, is is precisely the main problem of the film, which is Jerry Lewis' face twisting and slapstick routine in in all parts of the film outside of the ending. Especially that one shot at the camp when you know we have like a like a full shot of the accommodation where they sleep and and the Helmut Helmut Dork is just 
kind of on the lower side of the screen and you know that that duck movement that Conan O'Brien does he goes from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen very rapidly like he would be like a duck on a pond yeah just kind of moving like on rails what resonated with me the most the the ending is kind of nice in the sense that it is still a winning situation in a way it's a win of the will so i choose that the least uh, resonating moment there were some really misplaced moments of humor that we have been talking a lot in this episode but mm-hmm. for example kind of casually trying to tell fart jokes to some of those guards or trying to play with the cards at the cafeteria one time when he was invited to play his clown games there and they lost one of those king cards they weren't particularly happy about that why put yourself in that position yeah it, it, it's kind of much and as we have tried to do today we have tried to find a look and find a character motive yeah or, or character re- reasoning be behind doing all that stuff um yeah. Even even with all of that work, we can't be exactly certain what was that intended. Like, did, did we really crack this one, or are we just reading too much into into it? And is it just you know incompetence on Lewis's side? In one adjective, how would you describe clown? To me, that would be confusing. <laughs> to be absolutely honest, because. Um, in case it hasn't become already painfully obvious, I really can't wrap my head around. Like, why? Yeah. Why? 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 Like they had a decently working script, and then they started to just deviate from it during shooting. And this is something that maybe you should not do on your first film. Is especially on on your first film, like yeah. Uh, if if you would give give the this challenge to do something like Steven Spielberg, I'm not certain if if even he could pull this off. But to me, there there is a problem with with some of the, these Holocaust comedies, like like for example, A Beautiful Life, which has already been mentioned. I really don't like the film. I don't get what the the rave was about. I don't get why it was so celebrated. Mm. I saw it once, have never checked it out again. Not my cup of tea. Mm. So perhaps even even you know an established director like Spielberg couldn't make this this stunt work. But most definitely, you shouldn't attempt it as as your first first movie, your first direction job, especially if you are trying to transition from co- one slapstick comedy to well a serious drama. Don't don't do these people. Your adjective, I believe, was confusing. I would go with yep. confused. Essentially the same. Would you consider to watch Clown ever again, Henrik? Ah, uh, yep. I I would. Of of course, that that may be like like my answer may be heavily influenced by by the film's reputation. The legacy, that the fact that it's it's so hard to to see, most likely also also because I'm still trying to to kind of solve the puzzle of the film in my head. I yeah. I don't know if if I would be rewatching it. Or I, I of course I I say I will I would rewatch it 
at some time. But I don't know if that answer really comes stems truly and deeply from the quality of the film more than you know it, simply from the fact that it's it's super rare and it's hard to see and and the fact that I still haven't completely cracked it. Yeah, it's very thought provoking in that way. Well, it, it it has provoked once once again over over two hours of of material. So, <laughs> would I consider to watch it ever again? Yes, because of this uncracked coding in it, if you will. Do you think this film will have any staying power legacy? Well, obviously, because it has had that like over fifty years. So, yeah, and it hasn't even Almost come out 50 yet. Years. Yeah, yeah. So, it's the... it it. Obviously, it it has that. It it kind of goes goes a bit the same as as my answer to the previous question. I'm not entirely certain if its staying power stems once again from its rarity. Like if 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 this would have had a release, it would have just come out in cinemas like that. And today you could just easily buy buy a cheap Blu-ray from Amazon. Would the film, would the material be be so good that it would have have the following, and it would have the lasting power it has? I'm not entirely certain. Not necessarily. Well, did you get a feeling of having experienced movie magic? Well, yeah, yeah, something new to bring to the table, a subject matter or tone in this podcast. Uh I I don't know about movie magic, but I most most definitely did did experience tone, <laughs> and I experienced a a lot that that bring to the table. Many tones, <clears throat> Henrik. Well, would would you recommend the clown? Uh, I I well. It, once again, to repeat myself like a goddamn parrot, I would, I I do find it at times pretty interesting, pretty noteworthy attempt. Like I I I see occasionally I see Lewis's attempt, like in sincere sincere attempt, and I do think that that at times it it really works works well. Then again, there's a hell of a lot of material where it just it just doesn't, and and Lewis shoots himself in in, in the foot. Uh, it's also easy to recommend once again because of its ra- rarity, because because of its cult status. Pretty much what you said. Complete the sentence, please. You really know you are watching the clown when when you casually get a number of concentration camp prisoners killed and executed. You really know you're watching the day the clown cried is when you see a lead-painted clown doing vocal warm-ups. <laughs> Jeez. That was a lot. Well, any other thoughts? Not for the day, no. In that case, well, it's been a pleasure dissecting once again some heavily fascinating cinema with you, Henrik. Likewise, likewise. Thank you for getting the original Betamax. No problem, it was a complete accident and a happy one too. 
in the next episode we will finally bring you the career of the Honqing. Thank you for joining us and see you in a fortnight. Oh, until then. Semmoinen, että mitä enemmän taustoja teki, niin sitä enemmän tuli semmoinen, että Henrik, ei, 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 ei tämä voi toimia. tämä jaksokin. Tämäkin laitetaan jokin varastoon 50 vuodeksi kohtaan.